Hello everyone! Welcome to this episode of Grim Tales from the Garden State, the show where we follow the dark stories and twisted threads that have been woven in the great state of New Jersey. I'm your host, Mrs. B, and today's story is about Dr. Kathleen Hagen, a prolific urologist who fell apart at the seams due to the immense pressure of parental expectations. Her lack of a fulfilling purpose in life mixed with constant criticism from her elderly parents eventually pushed her over the edge. But before we get started today, let's hear our terrifying tidbit. Children need approval from their parents in order to have healthy emotional and social development. According to the Library of Medicine's article, The Role of Parental Acceptance, Rejection, and Emotional Instability During Adolescence, humans develop the necessity to be attached to emotionally important figures they can rely on. When parents are consistently hostile, cold, and critical of their children, it can often lead to emotional instability in minors because they just never feel like they're good enough and they can't connect to the two most important people in their lives. You naturally yearn for your parents' praise and approval, and not receiving that is devastating to a child's development and an adult's self-esteem in future relationships. Authoritarian, detached parenting is much more likely to contribute to a child's disability, suffering, and functional deterioration. The family unit plays an unbelievably important role in a child's mental health and any potential problems. I think one of the most important takeaways from this article is, Parental training should be oriented towards their own discovery of the fact that their behavior may be the origin of their children's problems. Training should focus on the importance of providing security and emotional welfare and guiding children's behavior and then emotional adjustment through childhood, so as to pave the way for emotionally independent adolescents who can face adversity and failure without emotional alteration. This is something that I believe Dr. Hagen's parents failed to do, which undoubtedly contributed to her fragile mental state throughout her life. Our story takes place in Chatham Township, which is a dense suburb located in Morris County, and has a population of a little under 11,000 that suffers pretty much no violent crimes. Over a third of residents have a bachelor's or a master's degree, and the median household income is almost $206,000. So this is a very affluent town that was unknown to criminal scandals until maybe the year 2000. Dr. Hagen was born Idella Kathleen Hagen in Monmouth Beach, Monmouth County, on November 15, 1945. She was the only child to her parents, Idella and James Hagen. Kathleen's parents were not the affectionate and loving type of parents. They never really let on that they were proud of Dr. Hagen or were very fond of her in general. She always found herself pining for their approval, pushing herself to higher and higher places in hopes that maybe they would finally show her the love that parents should give their children. In 1973, when Kathleen was 28 years old, she graduated from Harvard Medical School. This is an impressive accomplishment for anyone, but especially during a time when women weren't really attending medical school. Kathleen wanted to specialize in bladder and kidney cancers, and in 1975, she went on to become the first female resident urologist at Massachusetts General Hospital. Even with these already admirable steps in her career, Dr. Hagen's parents still weren't moved. Her father would tell her over and over that he didn't believe that she could actually do her job, let alone excel at it. Comments like these made her feel worthless. In 1982, she became the chief of the urology department at Rutgers University's main teaching hospital, Middlesex General, which is located in New Brunswick. One of her previous bosses noted that she was a very meticulous surgeon, but also that she clearly had a short fuse. It would be known by the department that Dr. Hagen was very displeased when tasks would become frustrating in the office. That same year, she met Charlotte Karash, who was a single mom and a high school teacher, and they quickly became very good friends. Charlotte, although she could see how much Kathleen struggled emotionally, respected her drive in her career and genuinely enjoyed her company. She would end up being Kathleen's only friend by the time everything was over. 
I couldn't find any information on him, but Dr. Hagen did get married and divorced at some point before 1983 when she met her second husband, William, or Bill, Tyrell. They married eight months after meeting at the Jersey Shore, but sadly, the high stress of her work environment mixed with her overall mental health problems came to a head, leading Kathleen to a breakdown and then a hospital bed. Although she thoroughly enjoyed her job helping people, there were many aspects that just drained the life out of her. She felt like she just couldn't get the different parts of her life to go the way she intended them to. While in the hospital, Kathleen was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and after two months of treatment, she was cleared to return to work. But a couple years later, Dr. Hagen was overrunning the urology department at the hospital. In 1987, she and her husband Bill suddenly decided to start running a hotel in St. Thomas called the West Indies Inn. They just wanted to escape the trouble of their current lives, so they quit their jobs as a doctor and an engineer to become hoteliers from 87 to 92. People were super confused that after five years of what everyone perceived as Kathleen's dream job, she just randomly left it all behind. Most people were completely unaware of her mental health struggles, so they couldn't fathom what would warrant such a drastic lifestyle change. Kathleen and Bill put everything into making this hotel work, but a natural disaster would cause them to be disillusioned with the whole idea. In 1989, Hurricane Hugo decimated the hotel and washed out much of the tourism that the Virgin Islands usually attracted. This financially devastated the couple, which took quite a toll on their marriage. Charlotte remembered that she would receive these frantic phone calls from Kathleen during these difficult years. She recalled, she was frustrated, she was depressed, she was talking a mile a minute on the phone, screaming and yelling. She was out of control. The couple held on for an additional three years, trying to make it work in St. Thomas, but eventually they just had to throw in the towel. The couple returned to New Jersey and moved close to Dr. Hagen's elderly parents so that she could care for them. She would come over to the house a lot and help them out with the garden and the chores around the house. When Tropical Storm Floyd hit the area, Kathleen assisted her parents with pumping water out of their driveway since it was sloped and, you know, collected a significant amount of water. Even after being so hands-on with her family and their health issues, Kathleen still felt like she was a failure to them. Her parents were still berating her for abandoning her career, which they criticized anyway, and failing at running a hotel, which was out of her control. Unsurprisingly, Dr. Hagen's mental health took many steps back and she became unstable again because she had returned to the source of her trauma. She didn't know whether to stay near her parents or to try to start over again in St. Thomas. Maybe it was worth picking back up. But that possibility was dashed because once they returned to New Jersey, Bill went back to his old job, but Kathleen was just kind of lost. She didn't really want to be a doctor anymore, but she had failed at running a hotel, so she didn't know what to do with herself. Where did her passions lie? Kathleen was wanting to spend more and more time alone, which concerned her friend. Charlotte said that Kathleen started becoming an extreme couponer and started hoarding things like flower pots. In 1995, Bill got into a motorcycle accident and badly injured his leg, so much so that he decided to get it amputated. He recalled that when he told Dr. Hagen about the accident, she was in the middle of grocery shopping and she seemed more concerned about getting home and to put the frozen food away than his precarious status. I understand the stress of not wanting your groceries to defrost, but like, I don't know, priorities? Also, when Dr. Hagen was made aware of the amputation, she flew into a rage and screamed at Bill. She was incensed that he was making a medical decision without her guidance. Even though she didn't want to be a doctor anymore, she sure wanted the authority to advise everyone else on all types of medical decisions. Everyone around her, especially Bill and Charlotte, were seeing her downward spiral into psychosis. No one knew that she had previously been hospitalized twice because of her mental health struggles, so they had no idea what events were yet to occur. 
The following year, it was Bill's birthday, so Kathleen went to his favorite bar in town. She told the employees and bar patrons that she was celebrating her husband's birthday and that she was going to strip and dance on the bar counter. The only problem was, well, one of the problems, was that Bill wasn't there. And she had separated from him some time ago. The bartender called the cops on Kathleen and she hit what would be the second lowest moment of her life. Now it's July 2000, and Kathleen, now 53 years old, is divorced and unemployed, so she has to move back in with her parents. After floundering to find a purpose or a paying job, she had no other choice but to go back to the place she dreaded. And, as you could probably expect, her parents were not happy to have her back at home. What's sad is that although mental illness can just be purely brain chemistry, the lack of care and affection that her parents provided her had to have largely contributed to her maladjusted adult life. The love you receive as a child shapes you for the rest of your life, and it's very apparent when children don't get what they need emotionally. Anyway, Kathleen wanted to make a cake for her mother's birthday. She was still vying for her approval. Her mom promptly rejected the offer and said, I'll throw the cake on the floor if you make it. When I heard that, I was like, dang, where did all this deep-seated resentment come from? Why was this an appropriate response for when your child offers to bake you a birthday cake? Well, this response pushed Kathleen over the edge. She was hoping finally her family would be kinder to her. She hadn't been eating, sleeping, or bathing, so she was quickly careening towards a psychotic break. Kathleen herself stated, it would take me four hours to get my shoes on. It would take me four hours to go grocery shopping where I might have done it in 45 minutes. Depression can be immobilizing to the person who's experiencing it. And when I say it took me four hours to get on my shoes, I don't know what happened in those four hours. This is when she entered an alternate state of reality. On August 22nd, 2000, Kathleen's parents were asleep in two separate twin beds in the same room like a 50s sitcom. She crept into their bedroom and proceeded to murder them both. Her 86-year-old father was first because she felt like he would be stronger and more likely to fight. And I guess she just wanted to get him out of the way since he would take more effort. She suffocated him with a plastic bag and a pillow and then moved on to her 92-year-old mother with the same method. Her mom tried to fight her off, but I mean, she was 92, so she didn't make it. Even worse, because Kathleen was a doctor, she knew how to quickly and effectively kill people. Kathleen stayed with her parents decaying bodies for four days. At 6.45 a.m. on Saturday, August 26th, Kathleen snapped out of her delusion and called the police. She said to them, My parents have been dead in their bed for days. I've gone out of my mind. I did this really bad thing. When the cops came, she looked distraught and was wearing a stained, tattered nightgown that she had clearly been wearing for multiple days straight. She claimed she remembered calling the cops, but not the act of murdering her parents. Kathleen stated, I love my parents. I just can't believe how a mind can be so messed up that it could happen. It wasn't rage. It wasn't anger. It wasn't anything like that. It's unbelievable. She referred to herself as being unfixable. Dr. Hagen was arrested, held at the Morris County Jail, and charged with two counts of first-degree murder. Her bail was set at $2.5 million. By this point in Kathleen's life, she was almost entirely isolated from everyone, except for her faithful friend, Charlotte. Between her behavioral decline and, you know, murdering her parents, no one wanted to be bothered with her. But Charlotte had her back through everything. She made it her mission to make sure her friend was okay. 
Although I'm no fan of Kathleen, it's really fascinating to see such dedicated, unconditional love from a friend. Charlotte cleaned out the Hagens' home and arranged their funeral, since I doubt anyone else was going to step up and do it. They seemed like miserable people and their only child killed them, so that's a situation most people probably wouldn't want to touch. Charlotte hired Kathleen's defense team and got her team of mental health professionals to help her. She sacrificed for her friend. She lost people close to her because they just didn't agree with her support of Kathleen. ABC News described Charlotte as Kathleen's guardian. During Hagen's trial, it was revealed that her father called her a slut and a harlot due to her having two failed marriages, and she shoved him into the couch the day prior, showing that there was a series of incidents from both parents leading up to the crime. Authorities also gathered that she drugged her parents to sleep before smothering them to death, which would indicate some level of premeditation. The psychiatrist on the defense side, Dr. Sadoff, argued that Dr. Hagen's chronic depression was exasperated by a lot of factors such as her parents' declining health, fears about being institutionalized because of her unregulated mental health struggles, and her two failed marriages. Dr. Sadoff and the psychiatrist for the prosecution, Dr. Simring, acknowledged that Kathleen's depression hit an all-time low in the month that she murdered her parents. The depression was morphing into something even more severe because apparently, she believed traffic lights, playing cards, and television ads were all sending her personal messages. The doctors both reported that Hagen was hearing voices, one of which was a male voice that she interpreted as being her father telling her to kill, and the other being a female voice saying that once her parents were dead, they would all be teleported to a sphere where they would be free of their ailments and the whole family would finally all be happy together. The female voice also allegedly told her that if she performed a certain series of rituals, like going up the stairs backwards or walking in circles, then that would confirm their transportation into the magical sphere. She followed the voice's orders, as well as just wrapping herself up in a quilt and lying between her parents' dead bodies in their beds, patiently awaiting the journey to the sphere. When asked if their murders were acts of revenge for a lifetime of emotionally neglectful parenting or mercy killings due to poor health, both doctors said no. So... Woo! This woman was very far gone from reality because those were two very common, dare I say, normal motivations for murdering one's elderly parents. In February of 2002, Dr. Idella Kathleen Hagen was found not guilty by reason of insanity. She was committed to a psychiatric institution in Trenton, and on March 26, 2008, Dr. Hagen was ruled to be free of psychosis and was released. The professionals at the facility decided that she didn't have any more homicidal ideations and she was good to integrate back into society. Unfortunately, after her release, Judge Thomas V. Manahan expressed concern that the now 63-year-old Dr. Hagen was not meeting the requirements agreed upon for her release from the psychiatric hospital. She was not having appointments with her psychiatrist and was ignoring social workers when they inquired about the medication that she was prescribed. She must have thought that since she was freed from the institution that she didn't have to answer to anybody anymore. But the judge said that if she didn't comply with the court's orders, she was getting sent right back. When a person is ruled not guilty by reason of insanity, they are put under what's called the Kroll status. This means that their mental state must be periodically evaluated by a judge to ensure that they are on the path back to sanity. Kathleen gained the ability to move back into her mansion in Monmouth Beach, but she also had to attend an adult partial day program for a determined period of time and follow all the rules she was given in terms of medication monitoring, therapy, and additional outpatient treatment. Judge Manahan was growing increasingly uncomfortable with Dr. Hagen's lack of regard for the court-ordered mental health services she was supposed to be engaging in. How could they ensure lasting results outside of an institution if she immediately was going against the terms of her freedom? He requested a report of Dr. Hagen's mental status from her psychiatrist, Dr. Robert Dengrove, within the next month, and she wasn't even present at this hearing. 
Robert Dunn, her attorney, confirmed that she was still in poor mental health, but added that she was not a threat to anyone or herself. I think it's kind of funny that her attorney acknowledged that she still wasn't fully functional, but she wasn't going to hurt anyone, so, you know, she's good. But he was backed up by a doctor. A clinical psychiatrist named Dr. Georgina R. Sid diagnosed Hagen with narcissistic personality disorder and bipolar disorder with psychotic features. She determined that Hagen was good to go back into society and that she had gotten all she could get from the hospital. So that was that with Kathleen's freedom. And Dr. Hagen made a lasting impact on the New Jersey legislature in May of 2008. Unanimously approved, a bill was passed that would require police to be notified when someone who has committed murder was released from a psychiatric hospital. This bill was not meant to operate the same way that Megan's law works, which if you don't know is a law that makes sex offenders, you know, have to be in a registry and let the local police know when they move or get a different job once they've been released from a prison or psychiatric hospital. This bill was supposed to allow police to monitor, you know, the people who have been released from the psychiatric hospitals with a more nuanced, ideally sensitive approach because, you know, these people didn't commit crimes with intentional malice. They committed them because, you know, they were mentally ill. Dr. Kathleen Hagen died at her home on April 18th, 2015 at age 69. I would say she didn't die with much left, but somehow she had a mansion in Monmouth Beach, which was apparently worth about $850,000 in 2009. Where did that come from? As far as I could tell, before jail, she was living with her parents because she was broke. But more importantly, she had Charlotte until the end. Charlotte was the most loyal friend ever, and she vowed to never abandon Kathleen. At the time of Kathleen's sentencing, Charlotte hoped that one day her friend would be able to live a normal life, but of course, under the close watch of a doctor. Kathleen was eternally grateful for the unshakable allegiance that this woman had to her. She said of Charlotte, she's my worldly savior, my right hand. I'll never understand her devotion to Kathleen, especially since I'm unsure how she was treating her during her mental health crises, but something bonded these two women together. And you know what? That's a beautiful thing. Overall, I just feel bad for everybody involved. And you know, we'll never know the whole story of how Dr. Hagen's parents treated her. I definitely can't say with any confidence that they deserved it or they had it coming, but I know they had to have, you know, contributed heavily to Kathleen's poor mental health and coping mechanisms. I think we've seen many cases where even though people aren't actively seeking retribution, their minds become so warped from abuse they've sustained that they're no longer in our accepted reality. They're mentally operating somewhere else, but physically operating here which is where problems arise. But that is where we will end today's episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Please don't forget to rate, follow, and share this podcast, and I will see you all next week. Goodbye.